so just in case any of you do actually take notes and want to correct me. Who can remind me what we talked about last week? We talked about worship, Jesus, God, and Sunday school, yeah. What else? What is worship? All right, right, we learned what worship is, and it was, or is? Yeah, those are aspects of worship. What was the definition we gave of worship? Right. Worship is our response to what we value the most, is what we said last week, okay? And that we're always worshiping something. It's not a question of when we worship. It's a matter of what we are worshiping. Okay, you and I are worshiping something all the time. We're declaring worth to something. Uh, if, you, if you play Xbox every day and you play this game until you master it, many of you in here worship Xbox uh, because anytime I try to play it with you, you annihilate me. And that tells me that you declare worth to it. It's valuable to you. You enjoy doing that. You enjoy spending your time doing that. The question isn't whether we are worshipers. The question is what we are worshiping and what we are worshiping the most. Does that make sense? What we value the most at any given moment. And so that's why uh, it was such a big deal for God that, that his people not stumble into idolatry. That, that Because he created us as worshipers. Worship isn't something we do, it's who we are. You follow me? Remember that? We talked about a deeper nature than our sin nature, one that humanity was created with, and that was to walk in relationship with God. And, and Satan took that deeper nature, that deeper quality that is written in human DNA, our, our need to worship, and that is what he used to cause humanity to fall, the original sin, right? He, he convinced them that they could value or worship themselves more than God. If you eat of the fruit, you will know the difference between right and wrong. In other words, if you eat of the fruit, you don't need God. You can become like God, right? He took, he took what was innate and, and natural within them and tweaked it just enough. In the same way that when Jesus was walking in the desert being tempted, Satan used Scripture to tempt Jesus. Satan took Scripture out of context and used it to tempt Jesus every time. The enemy is smart, and he doesn't come in often to us and, um, and just try to get us to do something that's just completely outlandish. The enemy knows our weaknesses. He knows our desires. And, and he, he takes what is God-given for us, and he wants to twist it just enough to where we get off track. It's important that you realize that. That's not new. That's been Satan's game since the very beginning. And especially when we talk about worship and, and, and talk about other things as we go on through this series, that's important. Because Satan's been doing the same thing. He doesn't have to change his strategy. It works, and it works well because we are naive to it, okay? We're always worshiping something. Worship is what we were created to do. All the time, everywhere, all day long, we are worshiping. The question really isn't what, what, uh, how we worship, when we worship. The question really that we need to be asking ourselves is, is God the object of our worship most of the time? Okay. If you were to divide your day into categories, and I'll tell you when to switch. I know the notes don't, I didn't give you notes, sorry. Yeah. Um, if you were to divide your day or, or the, the thing that your heart, 
goes out to the affections, the thing you do with your time, if you were to divide it up, and, and especially guys, we like to categorize things. If we were to make a little pie chart and we were to de- assign what we value the most, the real question is, what would be the biggest chunk of the pie? Okay? Would God be the largest piece? It's interesting, as I've been doing youth ministry, every year we, we uh, our seventh graders come in and I have a meeting with the seventh grade parents. One of the most controversial things we do in our youth ministry is the movie studies or the TV show studies. People either love it or they hate it. There's really no in between. Uh, a lot of people don't like the shows we watch. A lot of people don't like that we're watching secular shows, whatnot. One of the things that I love about it doing it and the reason I continue to do them is because it's... To me, it's, it's incredibly fundamental for you to be successful as Christians as you go out in life that you learn to not categorize God. Meaning, God isn't a Sunday-Wednesday thing. God should be an everything thing. As I am walking in my marriage with Kim, God should be very much a part of it. A marriage is not between two people. It's between two people and God. And when you take God out of a marriage, that's when a marriage struggles. And, and, and there are several times in my marriage with Kim where we're discussing things or we're, we're in disagreements. And, and we've got to remind ourselves that it's not just the two of us. It's God in our marriage too. We don't get to call shots just the two of us. We have to ask God always. Does that make sense? The second that I think that my marriage is, is between Kim and I and God is a Sunday, Wednesday thing when I'm at church, the second my marriage begins to suffer. Why? Because, because in that time, the temptation then is to spend a lot more time with my wife than with God. And instead of trying to categorize things, and, and like I just asked you to imagine your mind making this pie chart, what we need to do is we need to do away with the pie chart altogether, and we need to learn to involve God in absolutely everything we are doing whether it is school, work, driving, playing sports, all of it. He's with us. The biblical way of saying that is pray without ceasing. In other words, include God in everything. Understand that the relationship with God, God wants to be in a relationship with you in everything all the time. In the same way that you as teenagers, when you start liking someone else, you think that you, you just know they're the one. And you want to spend every waking moment with them. You know those games you play on the phone when you're getting off at night? Okay, love you. Love you too. I love you better. I love you more. I love you the mostest. I love you eternity times affinity. You know, and you're looking up words to add to that so that you can win out. And you're like, okay, you hang up first. No, you. No, you. Okay, okay, okay I'm going to hang up now, okay? Okay. No, no, no. Okay, let's, let's do it together. On the count of three, okay? One, two, three. You didn't hang up. Well, neither did you. Oh, well, you know. And you go through this whole giddy little, we call it puppy dog phase or whatever. That's that. That is the relational aspect. That is the kind of relationship God wants to have with you and I. Sounds weird. But he is the only one that you and I can have that kind of puppy dog love phase with that will never grow old. Trust me, I married a hot woman. 
She was a looker. I talk about it all the time. Yeah, baby. She could sing like an angel. And, and man, when I met her, she had this curly hair, like, down to her butt. You know I mean? It was just flowing, gold locks. And it was at one-way camp in Cedar Canyon, and everything that happens in Cedar Canyon has to be godly, right? Um, but that night, that first night I saw her, it was like, oh, you know, it was back in the day when the tabernacle was open air, and so it, the sun was just setting, and the sun was just literally, I kid you not, there was just this beam of light going, beep, Kim, as she's singing there, and, and uh, no breeze, no breeze. Um, David was there, barefoot at the time with long hair. He had long hair too. Not quite down to his butt, but yeah. No mullet. It was just long hair. That's right. Uh, and they were part of what they called the barefoot band, and they all worshiped barefoot. And you can ask David what that's all about later. <laughs> but, but when Kim and I started dating, um, the temptation from the moment I met her and still the temptation today. Um, I, I, I kid you not, um, there's nothing else I'd rather do than just be with my wife. Um, and th- there are plenty of times when I'm with my wife, when my phone is on vibrate, and, and I'm sorry, but there's, there's a thing called voicemail, and it's there for a reason for me. And I do screen calls all the time. When I'm home, because some things, if they can't wait till tomorrow, I'll call back. But there's many things that can wait, and there's nothing I'd rather do than be with my wife. However, I have to understand that for that relationship to be good, God has to be in it. And no matter how much I love my wife, there are times, and I discovered, Kim and I discovered this after about being married for six months. You know, we were trying to do everything perfect, like every couple does, you know. We realized real quickly after about six months um, that we needed some time apart. And, and at first, you know, in your marriage, you're just like, what's wrong with us? Do we need to go to counseling or <laughs> whatever, you know. And what you realize real quickly is we're both human and and we weren't meant to be with each other 24/7 and and this gugu gaga thing um emotions come and go and we need time apart or our emotions are going to wear thin and what used to be uh, you hang up first no you you hang up first. get off the phone <laughs> you know because as much as I love my wife she cannot and never will be able to fulfill me completely. She can't. There's only one thing that can fulfill and satisfy my innermost, the void in my heart that I don't even realize is there. There's this old group, Christian group, the adults might know who they are. You've never heard of them. They're called New Song. Um, they used to sing this song, Square Peg, Round Hole. And it's talking about fitting the square peg in a round hole. And and you and I try to fill our, our lives with things that bring us joy, that bring us contentment, that bring us peace, whatever. And, and all of those things might fill those voids temporarily, but there's only one thing that fills us fully, and that's God. 
And so this puppy dog phase that you experience as teenagers and doesn't really go away, it just changes the way it manifests. Um, it's really, it, it's that desire in you. That desire is, is your body crying out for its creator and the relationship that he intended for us. And that is what worship is all about. And so rather than saying, God, you know, I come uh, and praise you on Sunday or Wednesday or whatever, you, you need to understand that lifestyle of worship is one in which I take, I, I, I'm aware of the fact that I'm in a relationship with God and I walk in that relationship with God in every aspect of life. Every single aspect of life. When I'm eating, when I'm sleeping, when I'm cutting up, joking around, when I'm having fun, God is there with me. And God wants to be glorified in whatever it is I'm doing. So when I'm at home with my wife, God wants to be glorified in, in the way I treat my wife, the way I love and cherish her. When I'm at work, God wants to be glorified in the fact that I'm not being lazy, but I'm being intentional and in, in getting things done and doing the work he's given me to do. When I'm driving, God wants to be glorified in my driving. I struggle with that one a lot. That's why I don't have an egg through some of my truck. But, but God wants to be glorified in my driving. When I'm, when I'm playing volleyball, God wants to be glorified in my volleyball. So if I'm, if I'm not paying and I'm sneaking in the emergency exit and I'm stealing from the city of Carrollton, God's not glorified in that. So are you worshiping God in everything? And you see the way that flows? When I'm at home and my parents are telling me to do something I don't want to do and they're telling me for the umpteenth time and inside I'm going, man, you're a broken record. I'll do it already. And, and you know, that whole little <laughs> starts happening. Is God glorified in the way you're reacting to your parents? That's what God wants. God doesn't want to be a piece of the pie. God wants to be in all of it. And that is real worship. That is how we exalt him above anything else. You with me? Worship begins and ends with God. This week we're going to look at why we worship. It's not like God just sits around waiting for us to worship him. God isn't some guy just up there in heaven going, well, Sunday, it's Sunday. Yee! <laughs> Let's go, Jesus and the Holy Spirit. You know, people are going to worship me. It's not like he's sitting around waiting for that. It's not like God's sitting there going, three, two, one. Yes, 7 o'clock Wednesday. Let's go. No. God deserves our worship, and he's not waiting around for us. From the beginning of time, actually before time began, God has been worshipped. Long after time ends, he will continue to be worshipped. God is perfect. He's holy. He's the beginning and the end. He is worthy of our worship. When we come in here on Sundays, we sing and we pray and we praise God for the things He's done. But that's, that, that's praise, whether it's clapping your hand, dancing, singing, whatever. But worship is so much more than that. It's our response to who He is. Worship is when we attribute worth to Him. We strive to be excellent in everything we do as we are declaring His praises. The moment... The moment we, and y'all have heard me say this before, when we baptize people here in the church, infants or people, Richard asks them their name. And, and the parents always say, you know, so when KJ was baptized, I'm not going to do KJ, I don't know all those Korean and English names. Um, when Michael was baptized, Richard, or 
Richard would have said. I don't know if it was Richard that baptized you or not. I probably would have been a different pastor. Paul, help me out, Dana. I don't know. If Richard had baptized you, he would have asked your parents, what name is given this child? He always does that formal language. What name is given this child? Parents would have said, Michael, whatever your middle name is, Bass. Michael Bartholomew Bass. Okay. What? Gabriel. I like Bartholomew better. Michael Bartholomew Bass. And so Richard then would have said, and he does every time, he would have turned around and he said, Michael Bartholomew, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. As this water runs down over your head. But he doesn't say the last name. And the reason why is because baptism is symbolically the representation of us asking God to enter you into his family. When Richard baptizes an infant, what he's doing and the church is doing is we're asking God's prevenient grace to come and rest upon you. That until you come of an age accountability where you can make that decision for yourself that God's prevenient grace, that his grace would be sufficient, that you'd be raised up in the church, right? And, and for those adults who are being baptized, we're going to baptize infants, as they've come to receive the Lord, he's baptizing them as a public profession of that faith. And he's baptizing them in, into that newness of life. The dead, the old is gone, and they're dead to that. And they are being raised newness in life with Christ. And so he doesn't ask the last, or he doesn't pronounce the last name because you are baptized, Michael Bartholomew, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, adopted Son of the King. You, you are adopted by Christ, as Paul puts it, so you therefore belong to Christ. You are now a child of the King, right? And, and the importance in that. Is, is that that when we walk throughout our life, when we claim to be Christians, we are claiming to represent Christ. And so our, our worship of God cannot just be Sundays and Wednesdays. Our worship has to be all the time in everything we do because we are bearing the name of Christ. Once heard it said that, um, that the passage you know, in the Bible where it says not to blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you know, and a lot of people say, well, that means not to curse, you know not to use the Lord's name in vain or whatever. That's, that doesn't just mean a curse word that has the name of God in some form or fashion in it. What that means is not to live your life in a way that bears the Lord's name that you were baptized in in vain. Don't claim to be a Christian and live contradictory to it. Does that make sense? That's idolatry. If you're going to bear the name of Christ, then live as a representative of Christ. Worship him, declare his worth in all things and everything. Next slide. God has always been worshipped, right? We, we said that earlier. Somebody, uh, or if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Revelations 4.8. It says, each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. And day and night they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. So long before we were created, long before the earth was created, there were angels that, that with, without ceasing have been worshiping him, declaring God's worth in heaven. Long before Satan fell and, 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 and God kicked out angels with the demons, God was being worshiped. Before all, everything that we know, God was being worshiped. God is worthy of worship, okay? 
Next slide. All of, all of God's creation worships him. Since God created the earth, the universe, and everything in it, all of it, the Bible says, has been worshiping him. All of it has been giving him his just due. Psalms 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Later on in the Bible, it says that if, if, if we aren't worshiping God the way that we should, that the, even the rocks will cry out. You ever heard that? Brian and I have a mutual friend in Brian Sims that wrote a song about it. It says, the rocks will not cry out, for I'm going to shout unto your name. I'll play it for you sometime. It's a good song. There's this picture in Chile. There's this river. You can go to the next slide. There's this river. And any rock in this river, if you go and take that rock, sorry, that's a bad picture, but you go and you take that rock, you slice that rock any way, any way you choose. When you slice it, there's a cross inside of it. It's called Piedra Cruz. And it's an amazing thing. And in Chile, you can go down there, and people do. It's a big tourist attraction. People go to the river. They walk out in the river. They go find the rock they want. They come back up. And they've got these these steel or these not steel these uh, diamond blade blade saws that they come through and they'll cut your rock for you and you tell them which way you want it cut and so you go find whatever rock you know if you want a paperweight you want a something for your yard or you want a ring or necklaces they make them out of uh, then they'll cut it for you and it doesn't matter which way you cut it there's always a cross in it and they polish it and it's real famous jewelry and chili and whatnot. But it's just testimony, it's just testimony to the fact that God's creation, since the very beginning, has been calling out to God. Later on, Jesus talks about signs of the end times will be, will be that the, the earth will see more and more natural disasters as the earth is crying out or longing to be restored to what it was created for. Right, since sin entered the world, all of creation has been suffering the effects of that. And, and the Bible says that, that creation is longing to be restored to what it was created to, to just bear the glory of God, to bring, bring witness to Him. And, and so as time draws nearer and nearer for Christ to come, you'll see more and more natural disasters. You know, people ask all the time after natural disasters, how could a God so loving allow things like this to happen? Well, the real answer is, is that nature, creation, is calling out and crying out and yearning to be put back in its rightful place where it is exalting the name of God and the glory of God, and it is bearing witness to His name. And, and as the Bible says, the more and more we as humanity cease to give God His just worship, the rocks will cry out. earthquakes, volcanoes, all of that. It's kind of amazing when you think about it. This God will not be denied his worship. Let that sink in for a moment, you know. Maybe it's not that God is punishing all these people. Maybe it's not that God is allowing this earthquake. Maybe it's the fact that God is so worthy of worship that the earth cracks and breaks, that volcanoes erupt in the air, that they manifest to us how insignificant, how weak, how vulnerable we are compared to this God who created it all. 
it should fill us with awe and it should fill us with fear of the Lord. This God who created everything, like Richard said this morning, we don't need to be playing games with him. He will be worshipped. The Bible says that in the end, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Once again, it's not a question of when you worship. It's a question of what you worship. And you should be worshiping all the time. Because in the end, you will give him the glory he deserves. This massive God, next slide, massive God who has never known any shortage of worship wants to be worshiped by you right now all the time. Okay, when we understand and we realize the grandeur of this God, when we look at things like earthquakes, tsunamis, volcanoes, and realize they're crying out, pleading and begging for a God to restore the order, declaring His worth, and we see how that God has never known a shortage of worship. Before we were created, the angels were worshiping Him. We come to two fundamental understandings. One is that God doesn't need our worship. God is completely content in Himself. God could very easily just cease our existence and he would not have a shortage of worship. However, secondly, God wants our worship and deserves our worship. So this God who's created all these things, angels who worship him incessantly, all of the universe, all of creation, even our DNA, as all of you that came that Wednesday night and saw that Louis Giglio message, even our own structure cries out to God and his purposes. And all of that, this God, even though he's created all this that give him magnificent worship, he wants our worship. How blessed are we that God longs for our worship, that he allows us to be a part in that. Even though he doesn't need it, he wants it and deserves it. When we fail to worship him, we deprive him of recognition of which he is due. To choose not to worship him is to choose to place everything else before him. To choose not to worship him is to choose to worship something else. Make sense? So when you're on that date, and even though you know God's standard for your life, but your pinkies accidentally touch in the movie theater where it's all dark, and it just, you know, I heard Josh McDowell say it once, you know, we were just running down the hall, we tripped and just kind of stumbled, and I, I fell into her, and it just, we just rolled, and before you knew it, we were pregnant, you know, and and as funny as that is, that's kind of the way it happens, right? I mean, my intention was never to get from, from point A to X. My intention was just to flirt around with point A to B, but it just... Whew. Because we left God at the door, and we've decided to declare worth in this person more than God. Instead of bringing God along with us, and letting him be the one that guides this thing. Instead of recognizing that he's in the room. Listen, if you're on your dates 
If you're, if you can't, if you would be ashamed of the things you do on your dates, if God were sitting there in person, then you shouldn't be doing it. Because God is there in person. (laughs) Next slide. Worship should matter to you because you are and always will be a worshiper. It's what you do. You can't help it. Just like all the rest of the creation, God has created you to worship him. To worship Him. Not just with song, but with attitude of heart, with your daily, with every breath to worship Him. What are some things in our lives that we worship more than God? Food, sleep, air conditioning status. Yeah. Do what? Facebook. By the way, have you seen that Toyota commercial? Sorry, this is a side note, but the the no 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 the Toyota Venza commercial. It's this girl, and she's like, "I'm so worried about my parents. Their social life just is non-existent." I read this article. Well, part of an article, but or most of an article, or whatever. But it talked about their their generation and how antisocial they're becoming, or whatever. So I forced them to get on Facebook, and now they've got like 19 friends. She's like, I've got like 600 some odd friends. Now that's living. And the whole time you see the parents out in their car driving around about to go like mountain biking or something like that. Great commercial. Yeah, we can worship Facebook more than God, absolutely. Yeah, listen, there's, there's, there's an innumerable amount of things that we place before God. And, and one of the things that we do then is we come in on Sundays and Wednesdays or we go to summer camp or places like that. And then we decide we're going to try to block out everything so that we can just focus on God. And I'm afraid that, I don't think that's necessarily wrong, but I'm afraid that when we do that so, so often, what we end up doing then is when that worship service is over and we walk out the doors, we do the same. We block out God and we move everything back in. We move back into everything else. And, and really, when we understand that worship is not our action, worship can be symbolized through action, but it's not solely just our action, then we need to realize that when we walk out these doors, we don't put God aside and pick up everything else. When we walk out these doors, we take God into everything. And the next time we walk in the room, we shouldn't have to try to block out our mind because God should already be involved in everything going on in our life. Does that make sense? We've got to be careful if we're not careful. I mean, there, there, are, there are times and there's, there's a spiritual discipline of, of fasting or praying or trying to seek God and, and, and to, yes, forget about everything else. But if we're, not careful, if, we, if we're not careful, we get in the habit of doing that so much that we do the reverse when we walk out. And we need not do that. When we block everything out, we worship God, we experience God, we should do so with the intent that whatever God does, whatever God reveals to us, we're going to take him in that with us into every avenue and aspect of life. If we're not careful, we do the opposite. Next slide. Whatever you worship, you imitate. Whatever you imitate, you become. 
think about that for a minute. I know for me, when I was in high school, junior high as well, uh, playing basketball, Michael Jordan was the man. And I can't tell you how many guys growing up on teams that I played with and against, I can't tell you how many, I can't count how many times guys bit their tongue in the 80s and early 90s playing basketball. Because Michael Jordan did it, they thought it made them cooler or maybe even better if they did it, and they just bite their tongue, you know, get knocked or whatever. And, and it's a stupid assumption. It was stupid to do. But I can't tell you how many guys, including myself, bit our tongues so bad so often. And it was because we thought he was the, the basketball player to ascribe to, to be like. He was the top of the food chain in basketball. And if you wanted to be a good basketball player, you needed to be like Michael Jordan. We worshipped him. And the more time we watched his play, the more time we studied his behavior and his actions, the more we tried to become like him, the more we imitated him. And the more we imitated him, the more you become like him. And it's the same way in every other aspect of life, right? Believe it or not, students, no matter how much you dislike aspects of your parents, the things that you dislike the most in your parents, you are the most likely to become like as you grow older. It's really starting to get scary in my life right about this phase right now as our kids are getting older because I am becoming my father. And Kim is becoming her mom and dad. And, and our parents had two totally different discipline styles with our kids. And, and, you know, there's been some times where we've been like, you don't need to dress, you know, you don't need to handle it that way. And she's like, no, you don't need to handle it that way. And then, you know, and, and then we have to stop and laugh because we realize, oh, my goodness, we are our parents. I can remember so many things that I said, when I grow older, I will not do that to my kids. I will not be that way. I can't wait to get on those. I can't wait to turn 18 so I can do this. And I can't tell you how many of those things I do now. It's scary. Kim and I just had a conversation about Kim's parents the other day. And, and aspects of their parents that we see in them. Conversations we had with them, things that their parents did, they're like, do not let us become like this. Whatever you do, you got to tell us, and we'll listen to whatever, you know. And we're kind of going, hey, you know, um, you're starting to, no, I'm not. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you are. What you worship, you imitate. What you imitate, you become. I'm not suggesting most of you worship your parents. But I am suggesting that the amount of time you spend with your parents, meaning the first 18, 20 years of your life, seeing them every day, seeing behaviors over and over and over and over again, it's called psychosocial conditioning. And you and I are predisposed to be just like our parents. It's hard to break those cycles. But it's a true concept. Whatever you worship, you imitate. And whatever you imitate, you become. If you spend more time with people at school or friends outside of school that aren't godly, then it doesn't matter how much you want to be godly and come to church and ask God to influence your life. You will be more like them because you spend more time with them.
Does that make sense? If you don't believe me, go read the book of Proverbs. Because there are so many portions in Scripture where it tells you not to sit in the seat of mocker, not to walk in the way of the wicked, not to do, because you brothers, you know, standing in folly, you'll end up in folly. And it's just basically read the whole book. Next slide. We become what we worship. If you don't like who you're becoming, take a quick inventory of the things that are in your heart. We become what we worship. It's a biblical concept. Think about it. Paul put it like this. We die to ourselves every day. And we take up our what? Cross and do what? Follow Jesus. Rob Bell put it, talks about the dust of the rabbi falling on us, right? The more we follow Christ, the more we read about Christ, the more time we spend with Christ, the more we begin to act like Christ. The more God begins to instill his character within us. If there are things in your life that you don't like, if there are sins in your life that you're struggling with, maybe take inventory and say, God, how are some ways that I am giving credence to these things? What are some ways and areas in my life that I'm giving giving these things legs in my life? Are there things that I'm investing or spending more time with that I shouldn't be? Pray that God will begin to show you those things. Show you daily routines that you can change to grow and become more like Him. Once again, worship is a lifestyle. Okay, It's not just something we do occasionally. We'll continue later on. Don't want to bore you too much with this teaching tonight. Lord, I pray that you would continue as we go on to continue to reveal to us and show us what worship is, how to worship you in ways that you deserve and you long for. Lord, thank you that we are privileged to worship you, that that we have choice in the matter, um, and we can choose to honor and glorify you, walk in relationship with you. God, I pray that as we go about the week, that you would teach us and reveal how to apply these things to our life more and more. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I can't hear you. Michael has some announcements. Hold on. Okay. This weekend, if you are wanting to